Hello and welcome back to the Edge of the Box podcast, a podcast by whoscored.com, here to preview all the weekend's Premier League action. I'm your host, Dan Bardell, joined by my hero, Jonathan Wilson. This is my favourite hour of the week, but there is a downer to the hour because, Josh, it's your last one, mate. Yeah, last show. Um, to be honest, I think people only really listen to the the relationship between you and Jonathan. So I don't, I don't think be... people listen to me, to be honest. I think they just listen to Jonathan. Yeah, that's true. So I don't think I'll be I'll be missed by the listeners. But yeah, the show will continue and it'll be even better. <laughs> You're right, Jonathan. <laughs> I, just... <laughs> I just realised I'd forgotten uh, the microphone. I'm like, it's here now. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it's, quite, it's pretty pivotal to the <laughs> podcast that you have a microphone, Jonathan. It's sad to see Josh go. I just can't believe he's on the beach already. I mean, I literally in Marbella as we speak. I know. Josh, do you want to explain that situation to our listeners? Uh, yeah, so um, I'm working abroad uh, for this final for this final week. But uh, yeah, in Marbella at the moment, but still all focused on football. I mean, you didn't really explain it, but fine. You're in Marbella having a lovely time. Got in about 20 minutes ago from his night out. Josh, I mean, as you did only get set up for the podcast 20 minutes ago, do you have the Champions League team of the week? I do, yeah. Um, uh, I watched, uh, I don't know what games you watched, but I watched the Liverpool game yesterday evening. I was surprised that ended 7-1. Didn't think that performance sort of befitted a 7-1 uh, scoreline. But yeah, I'll go through the team of the week. We've got a former Liverpool goalkeeper in goal, Simon Mignolet. Uh, he made nine saves in uh, Club Brugge's 0-0 draw with Atletico Madrid. That's a very typical uh, Champions League scoreline for them, it feels. Uh, at right back, we've got Dan- Daniel Sundergren from Maccabi Haifa. Maccabi Haifa obviously beat Juventus, who, no idea why they've still got Allegri in charge. The centre-back pairing, we've got Tangai Nianzu from uh, for Sevilla. He scored in their 1-0 draw with Dortmund. Then we've got Antonio, a bloody Antonio Rudiger as the next centre-back. He scored a stoppage time equaliser for Real Madrid against Shakhtar. And then we've got David Rahm at left-back. He was the who scored man of the match as Leipzig beat Celtic 2-0. Uh, into midfield, we've got Mo Salah, who scored a, a six-minute hat-trick in that uh, Liverpool game that I've just mentioned. And then in midfield, we've got the well-known partnership of Omar Adzili of Maccabee Haifa. He scored both goals uh, in their win over Juventus. And he's joined by Nicholas Seawold. Uh, he scored the equaliser versus Dynamo Zagreb for Salzburg. And then Son Heung-min, he's the left midfielder. He scored twice in Tottenham's 3-2 win over Frankfurt. And then up front, we've got Robert Lewandowski, who saved Barcelona against Inter in that 3 all draw, scored twice, although a result that's probably not going to be enough for them to qualify for the next round, uh, which I imagine will be quite catastrophic for them. Uh, and, and, and up front, is joining him is Roberto Firmino, who scored twice and got one assist in that 7-1 win. But yeah, that's our Champions League team of the week. For me, no, quite prolific so far this season. I watched the Barcelona game, great game, my favourite game that I've watched so far this season. Not often I choose the right Champions League game to write, to, to write, to watch, but I definitely got it right last night. Jonathan, which one did you watch? Yeah, same as you. I watched the uh, the Barcelona game, um, which was a brilliant, brilliant game. Um, but you realise just how poor Barcelona are defensively. That, that second half, just every time Inter went forward, you felt they'd score. Mm. I mean, they really should have won it. That chance they had very late on. Oh, why didn't he pass? Yeah, if he'd squared it. it's. Uh, but And because he was too close to the keeper, he was never going to never gonna score. Yeah, and, and the previous night, I'd watched PSG just to see if there's any Mbappe fallout. Um, but I'm, I'm glad to see Simon Minnelli, um play. Yeah. He was, I, I obviously saw him a lot at Sunderland. I thought he was really, really good at Sunderland. But also sort of thought, yeah, maybe Liverpool's a step too far. Uh, and I think that happens quite a lot with players that they 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 just go one club too many uh, or one one level too many, and then they get a bad reputation, their confidence dips, 
Um, but he, you know, he's a very, very good keeper. He might not be a great keeper, but he's a very good keeper. And it's good that he hasn't just sort of withered away, that he's he's sort of, yeah, found a new successful phase of his career. And in, in, in that game, from what I saw, didn't look particularly good to watch. But I think Club Brugge, for two or three seasons, has actually been pretty good in the Champions League and quite, not just effective, but actually an interesting team, uh, the, the way they set up and their, 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 the, the clinical nature of the way they're capable of breaking. Yeah. Wise words from Jonathan. One move too far. Josh could be saying that about you in, in a year's time. Let's do what we're here to do then and look at the Premier League action. And we're going to start with Liverpool against Manchester City. And Josh, I guess at the start of the season, not many people saw the alarming gap that there is between the two teams coming. No, not at all. Um, I think all of the focus was really everyone thought it would be between Liverpool and Man City again for the title. And it was really whoever sort of clicked best with their new sort of strikers. But Liverpool have got problems all over the pitch, as it turns out. And now they're in, in for a fight just to get into the top four, I think, this season. I think they're six points off fourth already, 14th off Arsenal, who currently lead, lead the table. Um, and things just seem to go from bad to worse for Liverpool. I mean, they did beat Rangers 7-1 in midweek. But I think that was more to do with the fact that Alan McGregor didn't have a great game. And Rangers weren't very good, to be honest, because um, it wasn't really a 7-1 performance. And Liverpool still did look... A little bit shaky at the back. They still look a, did look a little bit vulnerable. Klopp went for that 4-4-2 formation again. Um, but I'll be interested to see if he still does go for that because Luis Diaz is obviously a big part of that. Um, and that does suit him, that formation, because obviously he played it at Porto. And now that he's injured for the rest of the year, uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold's out for a few weeks. But although that probably does Klopp a favour that he's out by injury rather than out by him having to drop him. Uh, Joel Matip's also out for a couple of weeks. Although it was good to see Ibrahim Konate come back into the team because he was outstanding at the end of last season. Um, but I looked into the who scored ratings for 2022 for Liverpool. Um, and Alexander Arnold is their top rated player. Luis Diaz is second. Mane is third. And Joel Matip is fourth. Obviously, Mane now at Bayern Munich. But that's their top four players who are unavailable at the moment. Um, heading into a game against Manchester City, who are obviously flying um, with Haaland. But yeah, it'd be interesting to see if he does stick with that 4-4-2 because I don't know if, if Harvey Elliott and Fabio Carvalho will be picked every game and particularly in those massive, massive games. Um, but I, did, I think what that Rangers game showed was if he does go with that formation, Salah simply has to be in that front two. It's been weird to watch him being playing so wide, um, more of a creator than a goal scorer. And he showed that if you do put him in the penalty area, he will score. He only took six minutes to score a hat-trick against Rangers. So if he does go for that formation, then Salah simply has to be up up, up front, I think. But then I would, I'm not sure if he would do that because of the, the players that would then go on the wings. Yeah, Lewis Day has a huge loss, Jonathan. He, he feels like the lightning rod for Liverpool. But you know, I think a couple of games this season when they've needed a goal or needed something to happen, it's been Lewis Diaz that comes up with that bit of magic from nowhere. They've obviously sold Mane to, to Bayern Munich, who could play that left-hand side role. Now Diaz out for the foreseeable as well. They suddenly look a little bit weak on that side. I guess Jota will play there if they stick to a 4-3-3, but I don't think that's his best position. So they're a bit short on that side now. Yeah, I mean, uh, Darwin Nunez has played there for Uruguay. I'm not sure he's played there particularly well for Uruguay, but he has played in a, a sort of wide left role. Um, so that that is possibly an option as a sort of, uh, I don't know, sort of in, in the sort of Emil Heskey role of being a big bloke attacking from wide. Uh, but Jota or, or Carvalho c- can do it. I, d- I just sort of feel that the the general evolution of that forward line has been complicated, and Luis Diaz is is part of that. That he came in last season in January, um, 
adapted really well. You know, everybody's talking about, oh, it's, it's amazing how quickly he sort of got used to Liverpool way of playing. And all of that's true. And as you say, he has scored a couple of brilliant goals this season. Uh, but him being there moved Mane into the middle. And that meant that the, the, the dynamic of that front line, which whether it was Firmino, whether it was Jota in the middle, you had the centre forward dropping deep, which created space for Salah. That was broken up. So Salah last season up until January the 2nd, which is his last game before going to the Cup of Nations, was averaging 3.9 shots per game. This season, he's only averaging 2.9 shots per game. He's just not getting into the box in the same way. Now, now maybe if you play the 2-3 in the middle and you have Salah in the middle, that, that's a way around that. But you almost think, is, is not having Luis Diaz, is that an opportunity to go back to the, to the old style of 4-3-3 with Firmino, who's having a very good season? dropping off. But that then means probably no place for, for Darwin Nunez or, or Nunez coming off the bench unless he can be be repurposed into that sort of big left-sided striker, which, as I say, he has done for Uruguay, albeit not entirely convincingly. Yeah, because the, the 4-4-2, Jonathan, obviously it's what they're playing at the moment, but it won't have been something they prepped to do in pre-season. They kind, of, they kind of had to do it because things weren't going well. That doesn't feel like a sustainable formation for Liverpool to me. Certainly not against the best teams. I mean, you, yeah, you've seen them uh, have two very convincing wins in the Champions League playing that. But against Arsenal, I mean, within a minute, they'd been overrun in midfield. And you're sort of thinking, well, if they, if they try and play with just two in midfield against City, if you've got Rodri and De Bruyne and Bernardo Silva, Liverpool just won't get the ball. And, mm. and if you've got four players up the pitch, that's they're going to get hammered. So I... If, if they do go in that double pivot against uh, against City, those wide forwards are going to have to do an awful lot of work. Now, Klopp said last week that he took Salah off after, I think it was 69 minutes he went off. And he, he said, oh, I, I took him off because of the, uh, the defensive shift he put in. Well, that was a defensive shift that included no tackles and no interceptions. So, it, I mean, it is, it is true that you can defend very well without making tackles and interceptions by just being in the right place. I have to say, I didn't really notice Salah doing that. And the, the impact Martinelli had on, on the game on that side suggests he wasn't particularly effective in doing that. So if, if, if they go into this City game with just, just the two in midfield, I think that's an enormous risk. Maybe, maybe they can just press them really hard and really high and, and rattle them. But I think that there's, a, there's a massive downside risk to that. Yeah, and I've, when when I've watched Liverpool this season, they look like they've lacked the energy and intensity of, of previous seasons. Some of them look like they're running through treacle at times defensively. I think of Fabinho, Henderson. You know, it's not the not the Liverpool of old. I, I suggest they probably have to play. I mean, a four four two would be very risky, but I would think they'd have to play a double pivot against City anyway, in in, in some way. But shape they, or they form. then need another midfielder though. So yeah, yeah. yeah. I think you'd, you'd ideally, well, ideally you'd have uh, Fabinho, but he's for whatever reason, just isn't playing well this season. Henderson playing pretty deep alongside him and Thiago sort of filling in the spaces. Yeah. That, that's, that's what they'd want. I'm just not sure on form you can do that. And yeah. I, I, that's why, you know, they, they have... I don't know what the solution is. I, there is no obvious solution. That's that's why it's a, a massive problem. Yeah, and Klopp getting a little bit antsy in his pre-match press conference for the Rangers game as well. Josh, Darwin Nunez against Erling Haaland, then two of the bigger summer signings that we saw go through in this window. A lot's changed since the community shield and everyone would go, oh, not sure, not sure about Haaland, but Darwin Nunez looks good. A lot's changed since then. Yeah, it has, it has um, changed quite quickly. I think a lot of people, in pre-season, there was a lot of 
sort of people quick to jump on Darwin Nunez for some of his sort of quite awful misses. And then he scored four goals against Leipzig, I think it was. And then he obviously scored in the community, played well in the community shield. And Haaland sort of had a bit of a day to forget. But I think if you looked at the finer details of that game, you saw that the movement that Haaland brought and the positions that he got into, but he just missed a couple of sort of chances that we now expect Haaland to sort of bury. Um, uh, but since then, Haaland's pretty much done everything perfectly. And Nunez, it has been a bit of a struggle for him. He did score against Rangers last night, but up until that point, I thought he was actually quite awful. Um, he sort of, he looks like he's working really hard, but he sometimes it, it looks like he's working too hard when he does get chances. He sort of even rushes or he just doesn't have the same sort of composure or, or he's not showing the same sort of composure and killer instinct that sort of Haaland is showing. Um, but yeah, it's, this is, the, it'll be interesting to see if he sort of does play in this game because Firmino, you have to say, I don't think many people would have predicted that his sort of goal scoring form this season. Um, but you'd have to say that Firmino definitely has to play. <clears throat> and if they're playing in that 4-3-3, maybe he does put Nunez out wide or, but it doesn't seem like that would play to his strengths because you just want him sort of his movement sort of in more central areas, I would, I would imagine. But yeah, it's been a bit of a strange start, a struggled start. I think he sort of has felt the pressure at times. Obviously, that red card didn't help. Um, Klopp sort of alluded to, to the fact that he just needs to sort of relax a little bit, I guess, which is exactly what sort of Haaland's been doing for Manchester City all season. 15 goals already for Haaland, which is which would put him pretty high on the golden boot list last season as well. I think only four players finished with more than 15 goals across the whole of last season. Obviously, what day is it? Say 13th of October, and he's already got that many goals, which is just ridiculous. Like, I don't, I don't really know what else you can say about Haaland at this at this point. It's ridiculous what he's sort of doing. Yeah, because Haaland's so good. The other players at Manchester City aren't getting spoken about as much. Jonathan, Phil Foden, one of those players. Why isn't he an undisputed player for, for England? He's got one goal in his first 18 caps for, for our country and he's just such a sensational footballer. Very little weakness to his game. But for England, we've not really seen the best of him. I wouldn't say and you're not guaranteed that, that he's going to start the World Cup. But for Manchester City so far this season and in particular recent weeks, he's been in tremendous form. Yeah, I mean, he's a brilliant footballer and I think he's a sort of footballer that England haven't really traditionally produced. That, that, that sort of tactical intelligence, that awareness. And you saw it when, when England won the, the Youth World Cup, how, how instrumental he was to that. Um, as to why he hasn't really done it for England, um, I think I don't think I don't think any footballer really has a value. I mean, maybe Holland uh, will be a counter to this, but very few footballers have a value in and of themselves, the value within the system in which they're playing. And for whatever reason, that England system doesn't seem to get the best out of him. And I can see why it would be difficult for players going from City, which is a very, very structured, very precise, you know, the, the way you play is laid out in advance. Moving from that to England, I think, can be difficult. I think it's a very, necessarily, it's not, not to criticise Southgate, it's just international football, you can't map it out quite as precisely. Um, and, 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 there's really only one spot Foden can play because Kane will always play. And if you play Kane, one of Kane's great strengths is his ability to, to, to come deep and play those balls on the turn. You don't want to take that out of his game because that's, that's key to his movement. That means you need a runner who goes beyond him. Well, that probably has to be Sterling. There's not really another player who does that. And then you have this sort of great squabble for places of Foden and Mount and Grealish 
and actually Saka maybe could could replace Sterling. That that is a possibility. Um, and and so, you know, Foden has one bad game. Well, Mount comes in, and you can't. That's not nobody's fault because Mount. I mean, the last two or three weeks has been brilliant, and is also a brilliant player. You sort of dream of a world in which Mount and Foden can play together. Um, and I think at club level, that that you could do that. You could put in place a system. You could get the centre forward who would work well with them. But Kane, I don't think, is that centre forward or, or, or isn't given the or lack of time available. Um, and, and and so if, if Foden and Mount are constantly competing for that spot, then, then neither of them really are ever going to, you know, unless they're in brilliant form, neither of them can ever be be quite secure in it. And we saw the, uh, the game against Germany that it was after Mount came on for Foden that England suddenly lit up. And again, that's not necessarily a criticism of Foden particularly, but when you have somebody as good as Mount in your position, then it is it is very, very difficult. For City, Jonathan, in your opinion, what's what's Foden's best position? Uh, I think probably playing wide on the left. Because okay. um, that's unusual, isn't it, for a left footer to, to play on the left nowadays? That, that's an unusual... Yeah, it, it is. But and one of the ways that City now play I and mean, this is one of the things that Guardiola sort of flips around all the time but then if you think what, what what's just I mean maybe this isn't quite the case now with Holland but if you said last season describe the the classic City goal and it's lots of passes in midfield then somebody slipping the ball inside the fullback for the wide forward coming around getting to the byline cutting it back for somebody to slam it in from six yards out well there you do need the wingers playing on the right side you know, on, on their orthodox side, so the left foot is on the left, right foot is on the right, um, which is a is a change from the way, say, Guardiola played at uh, at Bayern with with Robin and Ribery coming in onto their stronger feet, or or Messi coming off the right onto his stronger left foot at, at Barcelona. So, I mean, Foden has played on the right, and he's perfectly good playing on the right. He he, he can do either, um, but given the other players in the squad, uh, I mean, part of me thinks that he maybe should be the most attacking of the three central midfielders, so then he's more involved in the play. But given given the other players around, I think probably that 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 wide left role. Yeah. But then that gets in the way of Grealish, I guess. So. Mm. Pep said he can play anyway. I think he even mooted that he might be able to play left back in an interview that, that he did recently. Pep's uh, Phil Foden mm. could be lining up left back one day. I mean, I've, I've looked career. at my uh, the combined team you've asked us to do and I don't have him in that left wing position. So, huh. is, he, um, is he in it though? Oh, he is in it, yeah. I was going to say, he must, he, he must be in it. Josh, Manchester United fan, big fan of Phil Foden? I wasn't a fan of him when he scored a hat-trick against Manchester United, but generally speaking, yeah, big fan of Phil Foden. I think, as Jonathan said, he's not really a typical footballer. England produce a lot of, and um, when he is playing at his best, which he certainly is at the moment, um, he's in. He's right up, right up towards the top in our Premier League form rate, uh, rankings, which I'll say in a moment, but... Yeah, but he's just so technical and so good. And I think the ball that he played through for Holland against was it against Arsenal where Holland hit no against Southampton when Holland hit the post. Yeah, um, that ball through was something that you'd probably see. You'd probably think more of Kevin De Bruyne, but yeah, he's brilliant. And I think uh, uh, Pep Guardiola did say, and I think in that same interview that you just mentioned, Dan, that he probably does see his future playing in the central midfield, which would be great to see because that's a position where I think even again haven't produced a lot of footballers like him. Um, but in terms of the Premier League form rankings, um, Haaland's still top, as he probably will be all season. Foden's moved up to second. Then we've got Jao Cancelo in third, Kevin De Bruyne in fourth. So the top four are all Manchester City players, which doesn't bode too well for Liverpool this weekend. And then we've got Saka and Jesus from Arsenal, Rodri, so another Manchester City player, and then Kane, Madison and Martinelli. 
So, yes, I think Foden was fourth last the week before, and now he's up to second. Um, he's got nine goals and assists in as many league games this season, playing uh, like pretty some of his best football. And I'll, it would be really disappointing if he doesn't start for England in the World Cup. He's just so good, and it is it is weird that his form hasn't been too good for England. But I think, as Jonathan said, it does. There is sort of factors why that is the case. But yeah, brilliant, brilliant footballer. Yeah, I mean, everyone thought Foden was going to replace David Silva when David Silva left Manchester City, but he kind of actually replaced Leroy Sana because they both left at the same time. Foden's played more of his football wide. Jonathan's teased the combined 11. I'm going to mix things up a little bit this week. I'm going to come to you first, Jonathan, for your combined 11. And I'm sure you're going to turn around and tell me you've picked a Manchester City team. But what is your well, combined 11? I put Alisson in goal. Okay. Just because I don't think Edison has been quite at his best this season. But the other 10 are all City. All City. Because 10 have you gone for? Well, I mean, right back's a bit of an issue because uh, obviously Walker's injured. Um, so I've got a Kanji at right back. Uh, which I guess it might be an argument against playing Nunez wide left, given that you'd think Nunez might be able to bully a traditional fullback in the air, while Akanji's not going to be bullied in the air, uh, being you know, a centre-back who's moved out there. Uh, so Akanji, uh, Diaz, um, and then I don't understand what's going on with Laporte, because as far as I understand, he's fit, but he seems not to be... Yeah, Ake seems to be preferred to him. So Ake has done well, to be fair to him. I think he's just kept his place on form in the main. He's played a lot of the big games. Yeah. So I've got I've got Ake there, but with a sort of Laporte in brackets question mark afterwards. Uh, then Cancelo left back, Rodri De Bruyne, Bernardo Silva, Foden, Holland, and Grealish. Okay, that's one thing about Manchester City at the moment. I mean, another sensational player, Cancelo. It's telling that even when Carl Walker's injured, they haven't moved him across in the, in the, in the league games because he's just so good at that left back role. Now they'd rather play a centre back. At right back, so that they don't have to switch Cancelo. I think I think that's really intriguing. Josh, what's the who scored eleven then? It's actually entirely Manchester City, which uh, is quite inc- quite inc- quite incredible when you can. I thought Alisson might have been higher than, than than Edison in terms of rating. It is is really close, but I think it's just because Liverpool do just seem to concede every single game that it's gone against them. Whereas Man City have only conceded one shot on target across their last three games, which is pretty impressive. Defending, obviously, Edison doesn't have anything to do there. Um, so he's not doing anything wrong, not doing particularly anything right, but just because he's getting those clean sheets, it's helping him a little bit uh, of late anyway. Um, and then the back four, you mentioned that Cancelo doesn't get moved over. We've moved him over just because of the issue at right back. Um, Walker's obviously injured. Trent Alexander-Arnold's obviously injured. Um, so our back four is Cancelo, Akanji, Diaz and Ake. We've got Ake at left back because he has played there one or two times. Um, in the past for Manchester City. Not the same back four as Jonathan, but just in a different Just way. a different order, yeah. Just, yeah. just a different order, yeah. So the same back four as Jonathan. And then we've got Bernardo Silva, Rodri, De Bruyne, Grealish, Haaland, Foden. Um, so, yeah, entirely Manchester City, which is ridiculous, really, when you think Liverpool, only a few months ago, where there was talk about them doing the quadruple, and obviously they've dropped off so much they don't even get a player in this team. Yeah, we, I mean, we'll have done Liverpool-Manchester City 11s on this show last season and the season before, and I'm sure and it definitely wouldn't have been all one-way traffic like it is at the moment. Let's say everyone in the world's on equal form, playing to their best. Let's say everyone's playing to their best, Jonathan. You've got it. Would you have any Liverpool players in an in eleven, in a combined eleven? If Trent said Trent's at his best, would he be your right back in in a team, for example? Salah, if he's at his best, in this, like he has been the last few seasons, does he play on the right hand side? Yeah, I mean maybe you bring in Salah on yeah Salah for Grealish effectively, so Foden would move across to the left in mine. I think it'd be pretty hard to change any of the midfield three. Maybe yeah, you bring in Van Dijk to play alongside Diaz. Yeah. Yeah, Walker or Alexander-Arnold is is really difficult because 
I'd want to see Alexander Arnold playing in a City press before I kind of committed to that. Thiago would probably get into mine, but Thiago. I don't know. I don't know how you'd like. How who would you drop for Thiago? The the Man City midfielders are obviously also good as well. I guess it wouldn't be Rodri or De Bruyne. Would would be my guess if you were going to put Thiago in. Either way, that that they'd all be good turns, wouldn't they? If everyone was playing at the top of their game, there'd be some sensational 11s that you could make. Let's finish then with our predictions. Josh, it's your last show, so we'll come to you first. Man City three, Liverpool one. Same as what I was going for. Exactly the same. Jonathan? I've gone 2-1 for City. 2-1 for City. Tighter game. You think Liverpool might come alive on the big occasion? (coughs) Uh, Yeah. Uh, I I just think they'll be so aware of the possibility of getting absolutely smashed that they'll play with a level of caution that's that's not familiar to them. Uh, And I think also City may not go chasing the game in the way that... uh, that, you know, they would against the Southampton or something. You know, I think if they get two one up, yeah, they they might be happy to just hold that. It's, I mean, the good news for Liverpool fans is that Haaland had a rest in midweek as well, so he'd be recharged. He'd have been in his chamber, ready to go to to pull himself out for this game. So expect some goals from Erling Haaland. I, mean, I say that. I mean, we expect goals from Erling Haaland every single week now, and multiple goals at that. Time now for my least favourite subject. It's Aston Villa against Chelsea. Jonathan, Stephen, Gerrard, thoughts? Um, I thought he was a poor appointment and I haven't really changed position on that at all. Um, I just think with the with the spending that they've had, uh, well, I think the spending's been a bit bit weird, a bit scattergun. I think it could have been better directed. But, yeah, you don't want to be in a relegation battle. This, yeah, the spending is of a team who should be challenging for the Europa League and they're obviously miles off that. I mean, two wins all season... I mean, they are unbeaten in four, to be fair, and they, they they did get a draw against City, which is um, not yeah, you know, not to be not to be sniffed at. I mean, but, I would say that's the only game I've enjoyed all season. But the the struggles to score goals. I mean, it's only two goals scored in the last four, um, and I mean that game against Forest on Monday was one of the poorest Premier League games I think I've ever seen. I it forgot just... it was a Premier League game. I thought we were back in the Championship. Villa and Forest back in the Championship when I was sat there watching it. Honestly, it was terrible. Wasn't it was it? it was dreadful. Yeah, I mean, a yeah, lovely goal from Ashley Young, but if your if your way of scoring goals is getting nine hundred and forty two year old Ashley Young to smash it in from twenty five yards, I'd suggest that's not a viable solution in the long term. And yet, you look at the players they've got with you know Coutinho and Buendia and. Ings and Watkins, it should, it should be better than that, and it's not. And uh, I think you've, I mean, there's the the lack of width. I think is a massive problem. Uh, I think that's quite easy to set up against if all the width is coming from the fullbacks. I just think there's a lack of imagination, lack of precision, and it's yeah. If you if you play a back four and sit three blokes in front of it, it's going to be hard to play through. So the defensive record isn't too bad, but I think it's a pretty basic way of playing for a squad that should be should be better than that. Excellent. That's cheered me up at no end. I mean, Josh Jonathan talks about goals. I think Villa have got seven players tied on one goal this season, which probably tells you everything you need to know. That that seven joint top goal scorers at the moment for Villa. Yeah, it's it's been a very difficult watch. And I think when you're playing so poorly as as Villa are, I think what you want as a manager is to be tucked away in those sort of Saturday 3pm slots where it's not all there for everyone to see. But I think your last four games have all been televised. And the last three of them, I think, Leeds, Southampton, Forest, as Jonathan said, have have just been so difficult to watch they've been so boring um so the fact that everyone can see and dissect what's going wrong probably hasn't helped Stephen Gerrard there and I think another thing that is going against him quite significantly is that he was appointed Villa manager pretty much I think there's a few days between him being appointed as Villa manager and, and Eddie Howe being appointed as, as Newcastle manager and obviously 
Newcastle have improved so so much under Eddie Howe, um, whereas Villa are probably I don't know Daniel that would be a better place to say, but were they, was Dean Smith better at the point he was sacked as, as Villa are playing now under Steven Gerrard? Well, Villa had lost five in a row, so it, it wasn't brilliant, but this feels pretty bad. Yeah, and uh, it just it just all feels so just it's just so difficult. To, I, I'm not even an Aston Villa fan, but it's so hard to watch them play at the moment, and, it, and he's still insistent on picking Philip Coutinho, who over his last 20 Premier League appearances has scored one goal and got no assists. So I don't I don't know why he keeps picking him. Um, Jordan Pickford's got as many goal involvements in that time as Philip Coutinho, which is just what you want from a, from Aston Villa's perspective. And if Villa's owners are as ambitious as they say they are, then I don't know. I don't really know what they're waiting for. It just feels like they're waiting maybe for this for this unbeaten run to come to an end and then they'll make a decision. But there doesn't seem to be any any sort of signs of improvement because Gerard's so so stubborn and stuck to this sort of narrow system that he plays, which clearly isn't working, clearly isn't getting the best from his forward players. Um, and you've, you've actually had like a very, com- no, not comfortable, but you've had a very decent set of opening fixtures and sort of only won twice from that against teams who were pretty much in the relegation zone as well at that time or in and around that sort of area. It's just, it's just, I think it's just awful. I think I just don't see how this improves unless a change is made in manager. Well, I used to be in the situation where all my followers on Twitter were Villa fans. So I just used to get stuff from Villa fans. I now get fans of other teams telling me that Villa were the most boring team to watch in the league. And you're right. It's because they've been on telly so much recently. And it's been drab. It's been dour. I mean, I'm very, very miserable as a as a Villa fan at the moment, Jonathan. It's, it's, it's pretty pathetic out there. On, on Coutinho, what do you make of that? Because he does just keep getting wheeled out. But I, I, somewhat in his defence, I would say, Absolutely nobody is playing well. Not one player. Yeah, but I, I, I mean, I, okay, that's true. Um, it's not a functioning team, is it? If you're not in a functioning team, your star man like Coutinho isn't going to be playing well because he isn't going to be getting the ball in the right positions and he isn't going to be getting the ball quick enough. And that's exactly what's happening. Yeah, I just think if you're a if you're a club of Villa stature, I, I, which is to say, an ambitious sort of mid-table Premier League club, uh, it's very easy to get seduced by a big star like that. And I think you'd say the same with Everton and James Rodriguez. It's, oh, we've signed this sort of world-class player, this this player who's, you know, in James Rodriguez's case, had, had been a golden boot winner at the World Cup. Or in, in Coutinho's case, had, you know, had, had gone for what, 120 million that, that Barca paid for him from, from Liverpool. And, and now he's playing for us. This is great. But, but why is he playing for you? He's playing for you because he's proved himself not good enough at that previous level. And some players on the way down do find a new lease of life and they do find a new home and and, and uh, they, they do have a positive impact. But I think it's very easy for those sort of stepping stone players to to drag you down with them. Um, and, it, you know, you, you see the pattern repeat that, that that type of player comes into a club, his first game, he'll, he'll come off the bench or, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll set up a goal or set up a couple of chances in his first couple of games and everybody, oh, look, you know, he's, he's, you know, he's rediscovered his form. And then they drift away and they're a massive drain on resources and everybody's looking for them to, to, to provide the spark and they don't quite fit in and, and, and it, it just sort of sucks everything down. And the problem is that they're, they're, they're a massive liability financially because they don't have any resale value. Uh, he's probably on massive wages uh, or certainly you know, comparatively high wages. Um, and and you know, psychologically, he's not sort of climbing the hill looking to the next level or thinking of dragging the club to the next level, he's trying to slow his way down the hill. Um, and at the minute, 
yeah, he's pretty much abseiling down that, that cliff face. I tweeted this in midweek and you touched on the fixtures as well. Villa's games have not been easy, but they have had a relatively kind opening and have yielded the lowly points total that they have. It's, it's my belief at the moment that Villa carry on the way they are. They want to be that top half team, but there is far more chance of being in a relegation battle. And if Villa were in a relegation battle, this isn't a dig at the players, but I don't think that's a side that's equipped to be in a relegation battle, if that makes sense. I think it would be a massive, massive shock to the system for them if they sort of do end up sort of loitering around that bottom three and deep into the second half of the season. And it would be a massive shock for the club as well, because I think, as we've said already, that the ambitions are to push for, push back into Europe and they're just so far away from that. Um, and it's just it just feels like everything Gerard's sort of doing just sort of isn't sort of working, even to the fact of replacing Tyrone Mings as captain. I can't imagine that's done what done tremendous things in the dressing room, especially all he's done is put the way of the world on John McGinn's shoulders instead. That, that's all yeah. he's done. Yeah, and it just sit, and he's still picking Mings, which I imagine he probably didn't want to do. I imagine the thought process of taking him the captaincy off him was because he wasn't going to play as much, and obviously now Diego, Diego Carlos is out, he has to play Mings. So it's just a, it's just a bit awkward. Um, and we sort of we've said it before in the sh- in another show when uh, on Aston Villa about Michael Beale and I know you said that Villa weren't playing particularly well anyway when Michael Beale was there but you see QPR now it was a bit better than this <laughs> you see the sort of the work that he's now managed to sort of do at QPR I think they're joint top of the championship but third in the table um, maybe um, Stephen Gerrard is still missing that connect on the training ground for someone that can sort of do the proper coaching. I know he's obviously brought in replacements, but it's not going it's not going well. So maybe there is actually something there about um, the absence of Michael Bill in that respect. But yeah, it's I would be shocked if if Villa sort of don't pick up the performances and they sort of don't start winning games and winning games well. I'd be shocked if Gerrard's still there at Christmas um, because something does need to change. Otherwise, like you say. You will, you will be, have to be looking looking over your shoulder at that sort of bottom three. I just think it's such a weird setup. I don't think your assistant manager or your coach leaving should have the, have the huge impact that it apparently seems to be having at Villa. I, I don't like that at all. I do think that point about Christmas is key, though, isn't it? That I, I do wonder now if a lot of managers, a lot of clubs, will think there's no point sacking somebody before the World Cup because whoever comes in, there's just no time to put it right. Whereas the World Cup gives you this five-week window to go off and find another manager, and you know, let them get in and work out what's going on with with a little, you know, almost sort of a mini pre-season, albeit with several players away, but you, they 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 can sort of get their feet under the table a bit before the games start again. If I was a manager, I'd almost be annoyed at getting a job when the World Cup's on. You got all that football on TV, and then suddenly you you, you get a new job, and you got to think about that instead of just enjoying the World Cup. I'd be a bit bit annoyed if I was an out of work football manager. I mean, try being a journalist here in the World Cup. No, that's, that's true. That's true. I'm like, what do you mean, try being a journalist here in the World Cup? <laughs> I, I am one. I am one. Let's, let's look at Chelsea now. Ruben Loftus Cheek. You just always think he's, oh, he's a squad player for Chelsea. You know, he fills the homegrown quota. He's not really going to be a big player for them, Jonathan. But he plays almost every game and has done for, for a few years now. Not really mentioned with, with England, though. I mean, the right backs are picking up injuries like they're going out of fashion, and, and, and Loftus Cheek has played some football at right wing back. Is he an outside chance for England? Yeah, I think actually not a bad chance for England now. I mean, the, the issue is not great either, is yeah, it? Yeah, so? exactly. And he's, he's been playing centre midfield recently for Chelsea and play, been playing very well. I mean, the issue with him has never been his ability, it's just been he, he can't stay fit. 
But he was in the last World Cup squad. Mm. So Southgate clearly liked him then. Um, I don't see any reason for that to have changed. It's just been that he hasn't played regularly. But you look at that central midfield and, and yeah, Henderson's been injured and isn't playing well. Calvin Phillips is injured and we don't know if he's going to be back. Uh, Bellingham's very young and isn't quite as defensively minded as you might like as, as the player to play alongside Declan Rice. So I, I think he's got a very good shout of, of getting in as a sort of auxiliary central midfielder, but he can also cover on the right, um, which is necessary because, um, yeah, who, who knows how many right-backs England have left by then? The Walker's injured, Alexander-Arnold, who I'm not sure should have been in the picture anyway, but he's injured. Um, maybe Ben White comes in, but he's not, not really a wing-back. He's somebody who can play on the right of the three centre-backs, which isn't what he's doing at club level. Uh, so, yeah, I, th- I think as a, as a sort of, Almost as a joker, as a sort of cover role player, Loftus Cheek has got a got a good shout. Yeah, he's a kind of player as well that I think suits international football. He's he's quite unique. You know, he's, he's a big guy. Which which is which well. is I mean, and this sounds very basic, but being a big guy helps from in terms of set plays. And if England are to do anything at the World Cup, set plays will be important. You're talking to two big guys there. We know we know it helps, don't, don't, don't we, Josh? Have you enjoyed watching Loftus Cheek this season? Yeah, I think, like you say, he's been a player that you sort of have forgotten about. Not forgotten, but he's always been sort of in and out of the picture because of those injuries. And and he's he's 26 now, which is obviously isn't old, but because we've been we've read and seen heard so much about him during those early stages of his career, now he's 26. It feels like maybe he missed his moment, which is harsh because he is, like I say, he's only 26, but. He's he's played. I think he's featuring all but one of Chelsea's games this season. He's, he was clearly trusted by Thomas Tuchel, and he's clearly trusted by Graham Potter, both excellent technical coaches. Um, so that must speak volumes about the sort of player he is and the sort of the impact that he can make. And I do it. It is good that he sort of seems to have put his injuries behind him because I think there is obviously he's got such a unique skill set, as you said, um, and he's obviously got a great football intelligence as well. Um, so I, I do think it would be interesting. Maybe the fact that. He had he did go to the last World Cup. Maybe that does go in his favour in the fact that he could just come straight into the squad because Southgate does know does know bits about him already. So the fact that he hasn't been called up for a while, maybe that doesn't matter matter so much. Um, but yeah, it would be interesting to see if he does get in that squad because I do think he can offer something a bit different to the rest of the England players. And obviously, versatility, as you say, it can be such an important important part in international football. And he obviously has that in abundance. Yeah. Jonathan, score prediction then for this one, Aston Villa against Chelsea? 1-0 to Chelsea. 1-0 to Chelsea. Josh? 2-0 Chelsea. 2-0 to Chelsea. I'm torn here, not because I think Villa are going to win, but Gerard did beat Potter twice last season. And also, Villa, Villa's only good performance this season has come against an elite team in Manchester City, which tells me in some ways that Villa's setup might actually suit playing the better teams. I think Villa lost by one goal to all the good teams last season. Saying all that, though, I'm going to go after Villa nil. Chelsea three. Let's move on now to the just a minute section. And Jonathan, we oh no, should we do a recap? I don't know, do that again. We're going to move on now to the just a minute section. And Josh, how did we get on last week? For the second week in a row, we were all we all got the same amount of points. We we all got two correct scores and four correct outcomes. So there's still absolutely no change in the leaderboard in terms of points difference and standing. So yeah, we keep matching each other. It's tight, tight early doors. Jonathan, you've got the first game, and you have Brentford against Brighton. Yeah, I think for De Zerbi, this is really the first game where you can measure him. That 
yeah, to to go away to Anfield in your in your first game in charge of a club is is very very difficult. And, and Brighton performed extremely well there and probably should have won, but drew three three. Then against Tottenham last week, another difficult game. Uh, Brighton probably will feel that they they should have got more out of it than than a one 0 defeat. But the games against Liverpool and and Tottenham aren't really where Brighton are going to be tested for for all that they are you know in, in have been sort of around the Champions League places. But Brentford away, I think is is a kind of game where they 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 would be looking to get points and they they did win both fixtures last season 1-0. Uh Brentford have hit a little bit of a wobble recently they've only taken one point from the last three they haven't scored in open play in those three games. Uh Norgood and, and Pontus Janssen uh, both out for them. And Brighton uh Moda's out and of course you know Wepu has been forced to retire which uh is very sad for for him and and somebody who I thought was a was a was a really good player. Um but I'm going to go. I'm going to go one-one in this game. I'm going to go two-nil to Brighton, Josh. One-all as well. Same with Jonathan. Don't worry though, Brentford fans. I think you're at Villa Park next weekend, so all those bad runs will come to an end. Josh, you've got Leicester against Crystal Palace. Yeah, it seemed like Leicester were back on track when they beat Forest four-nil, and then they t- obviously took the lead against Bournemouth last weekend, but they ended up losing. Um, so it seems like they're still very much uh, in a in a bit of a problem. Uh, it also seems like Jamie Vardy's days as an elite Premier League goal scorer might be coming to an end now. No goals yet this season. And he's only had 10 shots in nine appearances, which is, is quite low. Um, whereas Patson Daka has obviously scored in back-to-back games now. So he might now finally have the chance to become Leicester's sort of first-choice striker. Um, Brendan Rodgers will be, be without Wilfred and Diddy. Uh, Castagna and Ricardo Pereira again this weekend. And Ryan Bertrand and, and Napoli's Mendy are also sidelined. Um, goals from Eberich, Yeze and um, Odison Edouard saw Palace uh, come from behind to beat Leeds 2-1 uh, at Selhurst Park last weekend. That was only their second win of the season um, and their first since August. So that was a good good timing for them and bad timing uh, for Palace. They've actually lost their last three at the King Power Stadium and have only, have only won one of their last eight Premier League away matches though. Um, so I think this could end up being a bit of a slog for both teams. So I've gone for another one or draw. I'm going to go 2-1 to Crystal Palace. Jonathan? 1-1. One one. Has Ryan Bertrand ever played for Leicester? <laughs> honestly, every every week in his Ryan Bertrand's out. Has he ever played a game for Leicester? I honestly don't remember ever seeing him on the pitch for them. Strange. No, it hasn't, hasn't been a great signing. Uh, Jonathan, you've got Fulham v Bournemouth. Scott Parker could have been managing either of these teams, but he's managing neither of them. Yeah, clash of two promoted sides uh, who've both had slightly odd starts of the season. I say the Fulham. Yeah, they were. They were uh, cruising on 11 points after seven games, everybody's sort of saying, "Oh, they've they, they they've worked it out. They're much better this time." And then they've they've lost the last two, um, and both. I think you'd probably say they were they were pretty unfortunate um, with with various injuries and, and absences and, and Chalaba being sent off against Newcastle. Um, Mitrovic, I think, should be back for this game. That's not absolutely certain, but they're still without uh, Salomon, Kazawa, Willian. Uh, and there's a doubt over Tete and Chalabas still suspended. Uh, Bournemouth now up to eighth in the table. They've taken nine points from five games under Gary O'Neill after uh, Scott Parker was sacked. Suddenly they look defensively very solid. They've only let in four in, in, in those five games under him, having let in 16 the three before that. They're without Stanislas, Brooke and Kelly. A doubt over Rothwell and uh, Pearson. And uh, both games 1-1 last season, but I think Fulham might just nick this 1-0. I'm going to 2-1 Bournemouth. I think Fulham are on the start of a bit of a, a patch here, and I think Bournemouth are flying under Gary O'Neill, so I'm going to go for Bournemouth 2-1. Josh? Same as you, 2-1 Bournemouth. 
2-1 to Bournemouth. Now, let me tell you, if you thought the Forest Villa game was a spectacle, <laughs> Wolves against Forest this weekend. Josh, you're going to preview this one for us. Yeah, it's, it's all pretty miserable for Wolves at the moment. Uh, they've lost their last three. Julian Lopetegui has also turned them down in midweek, so still no closer to a sort of appointing a new manager. Um, they've only scored in one of, one of their last five matches. Nathan Collins is still suspended. They do at least get Ruben Neves back. Um, Real Jimenez, Sasha Kleidich and Pedro Neto are all still injured, so still very short in attack. Nottingham Forest have backed Steve Cooper. A bit of a surprising move, but quite refreshing, I think, in football these days that they've given him a new contract. Although it'll be interesting to see if they start losing again, uh, what that happens there. They followed that up with a one-nil draw against Aston Villa on Monday night. It wasn't a pretty game to watch, as we've already said, but that did stop a, a run of five straight defeats. He made a couple of changes as well, dropped the likes of Jesse Lingard and Nico Williams to the bench. Um, Emmanuel Dennis scored his first goal for the club in that game and, and summer signing Morgan's, Morgan Gibbs-White was the who scored man in the match, so at least something positive for them to cling on to there. Uh, they'll be disappointed if they don't get at least a point here, but I'm going to go for a nil-nil drawing will, as you said, be a very awful game. I've still not decided, so I'm going to come to you, Jonathan. Wolves to win 1-0. I'll just go 1-1, just because that was what their score was against Villa the other night. Finally, a, a bit more of a juicier game for us. John, Jonathan, Tottenham against Everton. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's just the people I follow on Twitter, but there seems to be like a load of grumbling around around Tottenham this season. And I don't really get it because they're, they're still third. I mean, they haven't played brilliantly, but they, they are third. They're only four points off the top and they're four points clear of Chelsea. Uh, their only defeat was, was that defeat in North London derby to Arsenal, which to an extent you could say was down to uh, the red card to Emerson Royale and, and um, a couple of misplaced passes on breaks. Uh I think it's probably a couple of poor away forms in the Champions League that have soured the mood. But at home, they've they've won six out of six uh, in, in, in all competitions. Um, they could be without Kulisevsky still, and Emerson Royal is still suspended. Uh, but they're playing an Everton team who have, have only conceded nine, which... You know, is 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 decent, but they've only scored eight. I think they they they, they struggle to mix uh, to balance the defensive and attacking aspects of the team. They gave a the ball away in midfield a lot against United, and I think that could be a big problem against Spurs. The usual lengthy list of injuries for them. Uh, Spurs won this game five nil last season, probably the worst performance under Lampard. I don't think it'll be quite that bad this time, but I have got Tottenham to win two nil. Uh, we're going for two one Tottenham, and I'm going to go for one nil to Tottenham. Manchester United at Newcastle for you, Josh. Manchester United, they, I feared feared a little bit when Alex Awebi scored last weekend, but I thought they demonstrated patches of real control against Everton. Um, and you sort of saw more signs of what Eric Ten Hag wants Manchester United to do on the ball and without the ball. Uh, Anthony notably scored for the third Premier League game running. Ronaldo obviously scored his 700th uh, goal of his club career as, as the winner. It was a real up-and-down game for Casemiro, doing some stuff that was just absolutely basic and awful. And then obviously played a very, very important part to win the ball back from his own mistake to give Ronaldo the ball to, to score the winner. Um, Varane will likely come back into the team. Uh, his injury wasn't as bad as, as everyone was sort of feared against Manchester City. He came off the bench against Everton. He'll probably be rested in the Europa League and sort of start this one. Um, Anthony Martial probably won't won't feature again. It's been really disappointing for him, the injuries that he keeps picking up. Um, and on to Newcastle. We said for a few weeks that the stats sort of suggested that Newcastle was sort of playing better than the results showed. And I think now they're sort of getting those results. They've scored nine goals uh, across their last two games. Um, and they've managed to do that without Alan St-Maximin um, and Alexander Isaac. So that's a real positive for Eddie Howe. Um, he should, he'll definitely have St-Maximin back this weekend. Um, Joe Linton has surprisingly been benched for both of those games that they've scored nine goals, which is quite interesting. He, Everyone sort of 
thought that he had been become such a key part for Eddie Howe, but yeah, he hasn't played the last two games. Um, but I'm going to go for a 3-2 win for United. They've scored at least three goals in each of their last five home games against Manch- uh, against Newcastle. Um, obviously, Newcastle weren't very good in that time, but I'm still going to go for that 3-2, 3-2 win. I'm going to go 2-1 to Manchester United, Jonathan. Yeah, same as me, 2-1. I feel like I've predicted a lot of 2-1s there. I feel like most of my predictions have been 2-1 so far. Jonathan, your final game in the Just A Minute section is Southampton against West Ham. Southampton have now lost four in a row. They've only scored one in that time. Now, last week, losing to City 4-0, no great disgrace in that, even if they had drawn against them twice the previous season. But they've also lost to Wolves, Villa and Everton in that run, which is not encouraging. So, Ralph Hasenhutl is yet again under pressure, although he does seem to spend most of his time under pressure and then keeps on pulling out results just when he needs them to keep his job. Uh, West Ham, completely the opposite. Three wins in a row uh, before they play Anderlecht in the Europa League. Uh, I think there's a sense that all those summer signings, are, or at least some of those summer signings, are starting to settle. Skamak has now scored in his last three games. Having said that, they were pretty lucky against Fulham. Uh, pretty debatable penalty, and then two goals where a hand appeared to be used in the build-up. Uh, one of them wasn't seen by VAR, and one of them was apparently in the wrong phase of play. Having said that, they're, they're now up to 13th. Those relegation worries are perhaps starting to fade. Three points above Southampton. Southampton did do well against West Ham last season. They beat them 3-2 at London Stadium, beat them 3-1 in the Cup, and it was 0-0 uh, at St Mary's in the league. Um, and I think it might be tight again, so I'm going to go 1-1. 2-1 West Ham. 2-1 West Ham, and I'm going to go for 2-0 to West Ham United. Josh, big moment here. Your last ever contribution to the Edge of the Box podcast, unless your move doesn't work out, and you come back. It's Leeds v Arsenal. Uh, Leeds have suffered 4-1 defeats in four of their last six home matches against Arsenal, and I'm pretty sure we'll see something similar here. They're winless across their last five in the Premier League after last weekend's 2-1 defeat to Crystal Palace. Things not going too well for them at the moment, um, and they probably don't want to be facing their league leaders right now. Uh, Arsenal obviously beat Liverpool 3-2 last weekend to stay top of the table and they do have a decent chance of maybe extending that lead at the top with City to play uh, Liverpool later on Sunday. They've won nine of their first 10 matches in all competitions um, and I'm going to go for, I'm going to go out bold with a 5-0 win for Arsenal. I was, I was thinking of going, going bold for this. I was going to go 4-0 to Arsenal so I'm going to stick with that. Jonathan? 2-1 to Arsenal. 2-1 to Arsenal. So that's your last ever prediction, Josh. Someone's going to be coming in and obviously taking on the predictions yep. that you've already done. And this puts me and Jonathan in a difficult spot. So if who scored winning, it's kind of meaningless. I suppose it was different people predicting last season because it flitted between you and Martin. So I suppose in that respect, it hasn't changed. That does us then for this week's Edge of the Box. Thanks ever so much for tuning in and watching us. Josh, it's been a pleasure podcasting with you. Jonathan, have you got anything you'd like to say to Josh on his, on his last pod? Yeah, it's been a great pleasure and uh, good luck with uh, with the future. Yeah, good luck in the new role, Josh. Be a surprise to me who's replacing him next week because at the moment I don't know who it is, so I look forward to that. We will be back next week, I imagine, on Friday because I think there's games in the Premier League in midweek. So get your post notifications on and subscribe to the channel to know exactly when the video's coming out. Enjoy all the football and, as ever, please stay safe. <laughs>